Hello and welcome to Historical for another journey through words and time. We don't claim to know everyone's history over here, but I do know that at some point in the not-too-distant past, you shuffled, sprang or staggered onto this mortal coil, making as much fuss as you deemed appropriate. To let us know how much birthday cake you've eaten since, head to Instagram or Facebook and stick around to find out whether you've had the wrong number of candles all this time. It's a bit of an odd thing to ponder, but assuming you subscribe to the idea that at some point in the past, the universe began, someone far back in the annals of history must have had the first birthday. I'll just forego the spoiler warning and tell you straight up, we don't know who that was. In fact, we don't know who was second either. Humans weren't able to celebrate birthdays until they'd worked out a timekeeping system that let them track a cycle of days, months, and years. As far as we know, the Babylonians and the Egyptians were the first to start keeping calendars about 5,000 years ago, which amounts to an awful lot of birthdays untoasted and cake uneaten up until then. Even then, we don't quite know who was the first person to decide that a yearly shindig was a necessary reminder that they had not, in fact, died during the past 12 months. 5,000 years ago, writing implements were still fairly complex and time-consuming to make, and entries like, Margie turned 30, had party on Nile, Uncle Elgie was sotted, was V-fun, were apparently not considered a prudent use of resources. The earliest reference we have to a birthday comes from the Talmud, which is basically the key text of laws in Judaism. The Talmud mentions that Moses died on his 120th birthday, which, if it's true, means that Moses knew when his birthday was, which means recording the date of one's birth had become something one did. This is a bit tricky, though, because, historically speaking, we can't be 100% sure that Moses was literally a real person, or whether he's a symbolic figure or some kind of amalgamation of people. There are a lot of historical figures who do seem to crop up in all sorts of religious texts, usually doing outrageous things and being told off. But they only get to be historically verified if they make a guest appearance somewhere else, like, for example, a helpful archaeological dig. Unfortunately, Moses isn't one of those. So whilst he may very well be one of the earliest people to have celebrated his birthday, he equally may not have had a birthday at all, by virtue of not being real. Fortunately, we don't have to look too much further afield for another contender. This one also features Moses, so at least he gets an honourable mention. In religious traditions, Moses's nemesis was an unnamed and seriously uncool pharaoh who enslaved everyone of Jewish descent, brought down plague and pestilence, and forced Moses into some really time-consuming stunts involving the displacement of water and a lot of hiking. Moses, when writing the book of Exodus, was nice enough not to name and shame the mean pharaoh, which obviously makes the whole thing completely unhelpful. But historians think they know who it was anyway, none other than Ramesses the Great. He's often regarded as one of the greatest, hence the name, and most powerful pharaohs of the New Kingdom period of Egypt, and there's some evidence to suggest that he may have celebrated and forced everyone else to celebrate his birthday. One story suggests that he even had the architects of his temple at Abu Simbel 
positioned the stature of him in such a way that it was particularly well sunbathed only twice a year, on his birthdays. No, that's not an editing mistake, he had two birthdays. One was the day of his actual birth as a human, and the other was the day of his birth as a god. The ancient Egyptians at this time believed that becoming pharaoh was equivalent to becoming divine. They had a very complicated system of reincarnation amongst their royalty and deities, which is where his name comes from. It means Ra is the one who bore him. On the day that you ascended to being pharaoh, you were sort of born again as a deity, who was also a kind of living incarnation of a god that already existed. If that sounds confusing, don't worry. It's terrifically complex, and nobody at work will let you have two parties if you try this anyway. It's worth mentioning that the statue at Abu Simbel does glow very beautifully on a day in February and one in October, although there's sadly very little evidence for an actual link to either of Ramesses' birthdays. Personally, I'm going to go on believing the story until someone manages to prove that it isn't true. Now, Moses and Ramesses, for a variety of reasons, are not what you might call your common or garden variety of person. In fact, they're really as niche as a person can be. So you might be wondering when people like you and I started celebrating our birthdays. The Greek historian Herodotus was one of the first people to record the birthday celebrations of the general population when he wrote about the Persian Empire of some two and a half thousand years ago. In fact, he goes so far as to say that the day which every man values most is his own birthday, and then goes on to describe the abundance of food that might be served at the celebration. Needless to say, I fully agree with all of the above, although I could probably do without the whole roasted asses, which were allegedly a particular delicacy. What Herodotus felt about his own birthday is, alas, lost to time. But we do have the Greeks to thank for the tradition of birthday cakes. Once a month at New Moon, they would bake a round cake and cover it with candles to celebrate the birth of Artemis, the goddess of the moon. These cakes, I'm sorry to tell you, were nothing like what you might think of as a birthday cake today. They more closely resembled sweetened bread and were made from bread dough, honey and sesame seeds, although frankly, I think that sounds delicious. Centuries later, the Germans revived the tradition of candles and cakes, and this is where the first real birthday cakes seem to have started. Interestingly, they used one more candle than the birthday person's age. So if you were turning seven, your cake would have eight candles. You had seven for the years you'd already made it through, and you got one extra to symbolize the hope that your lucky streak would continue for another year. When the ritual reached the English-speaking world, we seem to have done away with the extra candle, perhaps because we weren't quite as good at counting. After all this talk of pharaohs and moon goddesses, it probably won't surprise you to learn that for many years, the early Christians refused to celebrate their birthdays because they were convinced it was a pagan ritual. Of course, the early Christians refused to do pretty much anything that might be accidentally construed as fun, whether it was pagan or not. Then they decided to force the pagans to celebrate their main man's birthday by pinching an actual pagan holiday and packaging it up as Christmas. And after that, celebrating their own birthdays just seemed like a hoot. Of course, 
they might never have taken the first step down that excessively slippery slope if they could have fast-forwarded to May 19, 1962, when Marilyn Monroe sang an unholy version of Happy Birthday to President John F. Kennedy that should probably have come with an age restriction. He responded to gales of laughter by saying, I can now retire from politics after having had Happy Birthday sung to me in such a sweet, wholesome way. Even without Marilyn's exceptionally sultry and nearly naked rendition, the Happy Birthday song has a more colourful history than you might believe. The tune was originally written by the Hill Sisters as Good Morning to All, a nauseating song intended, presumably, to make children dislike their school teachers even more than they already did. In 1924, Robert Coleman republished the tune with the words we know today, which was picked up by Irving Berlin almost ten years later for a musical. He was immediately sued by one of the Hill sisters, who won. They registered the copyright, which was eventually purchased by Warner Chapel Music. You weren't allowed to sing Happy Birthday in public, or in a place where you might be paid, until as late as 2016. Unfortunately for Warner Chapel, in 2016, a judge ruled that the copyright claim was invalid, and Warner Chapel had to pay back $14 million worth of royalties. It was not, ironically, a very happy return. Thank you for joining this episode of Historical. If you enjoyed yourself, please head over to your streaming platform of choice, subscribe so that you never miss another episode, and leave us a rating and review so that we can continue to tell cool stories. You can also come and find us on Instagram and Twitter at historical underscore podcast, and join the Facebook group, which is an excellent place to tell us which words you'd like to hear next. Join us again for more words that shape the world every Tuesday. <laughs>